Hackensack Meridian Children's Health is comprised of two nationally ranked children's hospitals by U.S. News and World Report and are number one in New Jersey. K. Havnadian Children's Hospital in Neptune and Joseph M. Sanzari Children's Hospital in Hackensack, as well as pediatric inpatient and outpatient services at JFK University Medical Center in Edison. With access to expert pediatricians and over 200 pediatric specialists across the state, Hackensack Meridian Children's Health prides itself on offering specialized pediatric medical care and surgical expertise. To learn more about Hackensack Meridian Children's Health, visit hackensackmeridianhealth.org kids. My name is Kate Santangelo. Welcome to the Mom with Moms podcast, part of the Mom with Moms network. Listen in as we bring awareness to the best local resources for growing families in Monmouth County, New Jersey, chat with local moms and mompreneurs, highlight our favorite resources, local spots, restaurants, and more. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mammoth Moms podcast. Um, it's been a while. I was just telling Ethan over here that I haven't been in the studio in like a month. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. We had our event, and then I think I was just playing catch up, and we had like some scheduling conflicts. So a um, little bit of a break, but that's okay. We're back now um, in full holiday mode, getting ready for all things Christmas and uh, planning for gifts and lots of fun stuff happening um, on the mammothmoms.com. So uh, stay tuned to the end and we'll talk a little bit about what guides are coming, what guides are up, what to look for, and um, a few things that we're planning for the new year. Um, today, our family health care series continues um, with Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. We have Dr. Daniel, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> To Giacomo. Giacomo, thank you. <laughs> I had it in my head. Um, um, I was pronouncing it differently, but then you're like, no, it's not how it's pronounced. Okay, Dr. Giacomo is a board-certified allergist uh, and immunologist. He received his medical degree from Tulane University School of Medicine, completed his pediatrics residency at Children's National Medical Center, and fellowship at Massachusetts General Hospital. Following his allergy immunology training, he joined the faculty at Massachusetts General Hospital Harvard Medical School for one year prior to moving to New Jersey. Uh, he uh, enjoys treating the entire spectrum of, of, of allergic and immunologic um, disorders, maintaining a specific interest in primary and secondary immunodeficiencies. He is also an active participant in multidisciplinary patient care collaborations. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We are excited to, this is the first topic that we're talking um, about allergies, which is, um, I think I was telling you a little bit in the, in the hallway, I usually can come into some of most of, like, of the topics with um, this series and have like a little bit of experience with one of my kids having something, you know, like, um, so luckily we really haven't had many allergies. Um, I don't, I don't have allergies. I really don't even get seasonal allergies somehow. I don't know how that's <laughs> happened. Um, my, even like my husband has like sensitive skin, I'd say, but he's not, he doesn't really get too much. And my kids, same thing. Um, 
But um, we're going to delve into um, the world of allergies. There's probably a gazillion things that we could talk about. And um, uh, so we're going to stay primarily into food allergies and kind of, um, you know, the different categories and why, you know, kids develop allergies, what to look for, what to do if your kids have allergies. Um, and <clears throat> I'll talk a little bit about, I guess, like my brief experience. I, I w- I've been under the impression for the past like eight years, my daughter's nine, that um, she has an uh, amoxicillin allergy, but you're saying that's possibly oh, not yeah. true. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, good, yeah. So when she was a baby, I think, you know, I think she had pneumonia and they prescribed amoxicillin and then she broke out in a rash. But in, like I'm thinking about it, it could have been a rash from the pneumonia or something. I don't know. Um, But we haven't prescribed it since. Like she always gets a pack, which is different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So amoxicillin is a a wonderful drug and it's recommended as like the first therapy for for all these kind of different bugs and and illnesses that afflict young kids. Fortunately, or unfortunately, sometimes you have a, a virus that kicks things off, or there's kind of an immunologic response that you have some infection, and then you, you give the antibiotic and you get this rash. Majority of the time, it's mild, right? Resolves. Mm-hmm. And then you get labeled with, you can't have this uh, drug anymore, uh, which is not great in the sense that if the alternative is something like azithromycin, it doesn't work as well, always. Okay. You know, and there can, so then sometimes you, Say if there's truly a pneumonia, it doesn't get treated as well. You know, you're at risk for other complications, stuff like that. Uh, there was actually a guideline in last year uh, that came out in the journal, main allergy journal, mm-hmm. uh, was like drug allergy 2022 practice primer update that basically says if you if there's a kid who had a mild reaction, including like hives, as long as it was localized mostly to the skin. You can just, uh, you know, they didn't give a timeline of when you can retry it again. Usually I say, like, wait a year, and mm-hmm. you can, like, try the amoxicillin again. Interesting. Usually through a challenge. So you want to do it in, like, a, in a safe environment, like, either at the pediatrician if they're comfortable or in an allergist office. And mm-hmm. you kind of usually give, like, a small dose and then, like, the regular dose and watch. And majority of the time, they do fine. To monitor, like, yeah. how what their reaction is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely look into that because so. it's, <laughs> it's good to know what um, – you know, obviously that she, if she needed, you know, um, yeah. uh, antibiotic in the future that she has access to it. Okay. So let's start with what a food allergy is. So uh, food allergy, I get, it's a broad term, yeah. right? So in the most, in the more <clears throat> most common sense, it's an abnormal immune reaction, right? To a food when you're not supposed to have any, you know, you're supposed to be able to enjoy your food and not have anything bad happen. Right. Uh, so, you know, the most probably well-known sense is that you eat a food and you have this abnormal immune reaction and you have some bad stuff happen within a minute or an hour, sometimes two hours, and you have these kind of immediate like symptoms that can involve hives, uh, can and more, more severe cases, swelling, respiratory distress, um, gastrointestinal upset as well. There are other um, disorders that fall under the food allergy realm mm-hmm. that include sometimes um, more delayed immunologic reactions, and that can uh, um, uh, during diagnosis, uh, if you've heard of FPIs, food protein-induced endocolitis syndrome, so that's something that where you uh, eat a food and then a couple hours later, you actually get like vomiting oh. and hypotension. So that's like a whole, we could talk about that later. Wow. It's like a whole other bucket. Okay. And then you have your whole set of things that kind of like sometimes people call food allergy. They're not immune reactions. Maybe they're more like intolerances or something like, like that. It makes your stomach hurt. Yeah, that like necessarily that. fall into, but like the you're bread and like, butter is. Yeah, okay. You're yeah. not, your throat isn't closing. No, no, okay. not like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Got and it. So, um, so um, do allergies tend to run in families? Uh-huh. So we were just discussing yeah. this. Uh, 
I think more traditionally, so we're talking about like the immediate like allergic food food reaction, right? Like you have allergic antibodies, you eat a food. Like have, a severe, yeah, I guess, severe, allergy, yeah, right? Something like that. Uh, Yes, but the, there's been more recent kind of investigations of this and the primary risk factors for developing a food allergy. Um, like on the totem pole or like if you'd make this like big like pyramid of risk, mm -hmm. uh, the, the lowest risk people are like the general population. And then like the next risk might be someone with a family history of, of food allergy, but the risk increases if you have a, a, a personal history of already been diagnosed with food, food allergy. I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you have other... Um, allergic conditions like eczema and stuff like that. And and I think the thought process is actually changing. So traditionally, though I think allergists used to believe that if you yeah, if your brother or sister had a food allergy, you were at higher risk because you're related closely. Mm -hmm. And now it, it's potentially changing to the idea that maybe your behaviors uh, because of that sibling who had food allergy are actually one of the main risk factors. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, there's been a hot topic of like when to introduce foods and when's the like safest, most uh, reasonable time to introduce an allergenic food with the goal to prevent food allergy. And there's some thought that maybe if you have a sibling with food allergy, you might delay that process. Mm -hmm. And so you are a little bit increased risk. You might have other allergic conditions and you wait, wait, wait to introduce that food. And then that's actually why you develop the food allergy. Now that the main driver is not that like sibling risk factor. It's actually delayed introduction. Oh, so that's yeah. interesting. Um, so so let's actually pin that because I want to yeah, get back to, to that topic. Um, so when you, um, you know, you have a newborn and maybe you're nursing um, or giving formula and then you notice, um, I guess, that the baby's like having different reactions. Can they, can babies still d develop an allergy from breast milk? Like oh, something in the breast milk? That's a whole other great uh, okay. topic. So. Yeah, so I still when when thinking about breast milk reactions, I like to still think about the whole spectrum of allergic reactions. Mm -hmm. so you can have, you technically you can have an immediate like allergic reaction where mm -hmm. we talked about kind of like the typical hives, rash, swelling, right. um, or worse. Um, and then reactions of breast milk also include some of those delayed reactions. So you can have technically you can have F pies, but the more classic reaction is that milk protein allergy. So you get a little bit of di diarrhea, loose stool, and maybe some blood in the stool. Right. And that's still within the, the allergy realm. So that can happen. But there is still, uh, how often does that happen? How often is like a potential food that mom's eating mm -hmm. that goes into the breast milk, the culprit of all these kind of adverse reactions is a, a good question. Is uh, it small though? Yeah, okay. I think, so it's generally small. Like, so there is, they've done a lot of studies that show that food protein that mom eats can pass into the breast milk. Alert, uh, antibodies, not necessarily allergic antibodies, can pass into the breast milk as well. Uh, and there is a relationship between the amount of food that is consumed and the amount of food protein that gets passed into the breast milk too, they think. Oh, interesting. Um, generally speaking, you know, for if you're concerned that your kid could be having like an immediate allergic, like, you know, like this mm -hmm. kind of like a borderline anaphylaxis reaction to food in the breast milk, it's very uncommon. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so usually I try to do my best not to, you know, have the mom avoid the food in her diet. And then when we think about when the kid becomes of age to eat those foods, I try not to make any big you know, crazy decisions, just either introduce it cautiously if there's a concern, you mm -hmm. know, if you can pinpoint some specific food. Right. Um, or um, we can do like testing for, you know, like for allergies and stuff too. Uh, okay. Yeah. So do most allergies then become, um, you know, um, present 
mm-hmm. when um, the baby is start introduced mm. like more solid yes. foods. Is that kind of when that's yeah. all? Okay. Um, so what food? So milk, I know is like a big one, mm-hmm. right? Dairy, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what are like some of the? I, I mean, I'm not going to ask the reasons why because <laughs> I think we could probably be here for yeah. seven hours. But yeah. um, but what are like some of the bigger? I guess you know categories of food that like will um, will you know, uh, cause an aller- aller- allergic yeah. reaction. Yeah, so a lot of it depends on age and like where you live and where you're from, what your cultural habits are. Okay. Generally speaking, uh, so most food allergies present, like the peak uh, diagnosis is probably around one year mm-hmm. before two years. Um, and that's mostly like milk and egg. And it has to do with the foods that are getting introduced. Um, also, you know, and then uh, high up on that list are like your peanuts and tree nuts as well. Mm-hmm. As you, as you get older, uh, um, that kind of shifts to peanut, tree nut, and like shellfish, fish, and shellfish are more prevalent. And then oh. it depends on really depends on like what what does your family eat the most, honestly. Okay, can so, you develop a, a food allergy later in life, like as an adult? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Uh, is it like something fun. that you don't yeah. eat like often, and then you eat it, and you're like, no? Which yeah. Is kinda... I mean. I've heard it. So usually if you are like eating a food Mm -hmm. every day or multiple times a week in like a reasonable amount, you're not going to randomly develop a food allergy. Okay. I know it's like seeing situations where you're like, no, it's not that. And then like it ends up being, you know, being that. uh, But typically, yeah, some of the situations I've seen is like, well, like maybe if you're an adult, like I ate shrimp, right? It's always like shrimp. You know, like (laughs) I saw like... um, and a couple of years ago, like, I don't know, like, I just didn't, like, sit well or something. You're like, okay, that's kind of, like, hard to put a finger on. And then they're like, but then I had it again last week after a year or two, and, like, my face blew up. Uh, and like, you know, like, something like that. So you do see that. Okay. Uh, I actually had a buddy who uh, who is on, he's in, um, he's in, he was in Peace Corps. He's uh-huh. in Africa, and he, like, developed the peanut allergy, like, oh, in the no. bush. <laughs> he ate, like, a peanut bar and had, like, anaphylaxis. <gasps> yeah, it was, cra- it was a crazy wow. story. Um, he didn't believe it either, and he came back. He was like, yeah, you're like, you definitely have a peanut allergy. Wow. So it can happen. Yeah, I don't I don't want people to, like, no, be worried and afraid. Yeah, <laughs> That's but, so funny. Yeah, yeah. So is there research that shows that um, later introduction to foods can de- can cause allergic reactions yeah so with babies and kids yeah so a lot of it's in yeah so it's not like if you're yeah like if you're an adult uh but yeah you know that 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 main that prominent study was the leap trial right out of the um uh out of the i think it was out of the uk uh that showed um forgive me if i get some of my numbers wrong right that if you introduce early introduction of peanut like early and frequent and high high amount of peanut uh, introduction um in kids can like reduce the you know the rate of development of peanut allergy by eighty percent by age five you know something okay. like that so then like there this was a randomized trial mm-hmm. that kind of uh, I think some of the impetus was it of it was like they like uh, kind of came out of Israel too like everyone eats like bamba in Israel mm-hmm. like the rates of peanut allergy are pretty low so it may, you know it's kind of it caused this paradigm shift of traditionally used to be delay food introduction, especially if you're high risk, because then like you could, you know, it actually increases your risk of allergy and all that, and it kind of turned things on its head. Interesting. And then there's been a ton of studies since, right? Looking at trying to reproduce that, like this early introduction of peanut, um, doing all the other foods, you know, like uh, egg and milk, uh, trying to introduce them at different ages and different amounts, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And I think the general consensus is that, is that early introduction is best. Is best. Yeah. 
So is there a timeline? Like, is there, I mean, it's been a while since I've had a little newborn, a little baby that I'm, you know, um, that uh, I think I, I can't even remember what, you know, what the what the guidelines were then, right? Um, I, I do recall it, like at this five month mark, it was like oatmeal and the, the cereal or whatever. And then you kind of did like bananas and like little, yeah. you know, so what has that changed? Um, and what are the guidelines now? Yeah, so the, the most updated, so there's been like updated guidelines and there's a lot of more like, um, kind of position statements. So you don't have to worry about like the differences in the allergy right. world, but like there's there's um there's been some recent stuff there I think a couple of weeks ago or it was in it's not December yet, right? In October. Middle almost. of October there yeah. It feels yeah. like December. Yeah, right. It's, not. <laughs> it's cold out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um that they came out, yeah, they kind of updated. It was like a super updated version of like what 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 you should um do with like food introduction. And so you still maintain like the same old stuff, right? I usually say do a couple foods, age make sure that they can eat solid foods, you know, between four and six months of age, follow the AAP guidelines of kind of, you know, either some grains or some fruits and veggies and stuff like that. And once you kind of demonstrated that's going well, then you can try to do some of these more allergenic foods. Um, the timing, it, I think all uh, harkens back to kind of some of those risk factors for development of food allergy. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you have like nobody in the family has food allergy, nobody has eczema, like you don't have to like rush to like introduce all these foods uh, oh, per se. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So okay. I say my typical guidance is between six and 12 months, try to start to introduce these allergenic foods okay. if you have no risk factors. If you have eczema, you know, and, and you're considered maybe a higher risk to develop food allergy, I would say we should really try to make sure we're cognizant and try to get these foods um, in like closer to six months as possible. Interesting. And that includes what? Like all foods? So, yeah. So, the you know, the high, highly allergenic foods harkens back to like the top nine now, okay. you know, and the things I care about the most are like milk, egg, um, uh, like peanut and tree nuts. Okay. And sesame now. And sesame. Yeah. I, I had no yeah. idea that sesame, uh, that people were even, that would never have thought that. Um, but who knew that that's like a prevalent <laughs> um, allergen for, yeah. for a lot of people. Um, okay. So we were also just chatting, and I'm sure this gets brought up a lot. In my generation, I didn't know anyone with a, a um, peanut allergy. Uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I've heard many, you know, moms talk about this, and um, maybe we just weren't aware. Maybe we just didn't have friends with peanut allergy. I don't know. There was no peanut table. I know that for yeah. a fact. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think when my son was growing up, he that was like, you know, it became much more common. Mm -hmm. um, he's almost 20. Yeah. And then uh, my daughter's nine. So same thing. I, I, it's not like crazy, but I, I think that there's, you know, definitely a table and um, of, mm -hmm. you know, of kids with the allergies. Um, so why is that? You know, like what, you know, is there a finite like reason at this point um, why there's so many kids with um, with peanut allergies and, you know, and it's scary for the moms that have, have kids mm -hmm. with the allergy. They always have to worry. I'm sure they have to walk around with an EpiPen and, um, you know, it's it's not. I'm sure it's not easy uh, being a parent with you know with a with yeah. a child with an allergy yeah. like that. So, um, let's talk a little bit about it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I don't know if the short the short answer is the, not a hundred percent sure why, right? But there's definitely evidence that, in, at least in developed countries, the prevalence or like the number of people living with food allergy has been increasing. Okay. And the across number, the board. Yeah, across the board. Okay. Uh, and the number of people that have like been having severe, more severe reactions has been increasing as well. Um, you know, there's some different hypotheses around that. 
whether it has to do with kind of our environmental practices. Uh, you know, we talked about like the yeah. hygiene hypothesis, so you know, like play it outside less, right? Like having We're kind of kept what, kids yeah, in a bubble. You know. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I was thinking so. the other day how my daughter, you know, when I was growing up, we were like, we didn't have a lot of the stuff to keep us you know, entertained yeah, iPads yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So we were, I would like go out and play in the Creek and, you know, we were like outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, we live on a street like that. My daughter can't really do that as much. And she's mm. just like, not, you know, she plays outside a lot more at school and we yeah, take her to the park, yeah. but it's not like go outside and play as yeah, much, you yeah. know? So, um, but I also wasn't the kind of mom that was like, no, like let's mm -hmm. like bring hand sanitizer yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, like I didn't, yeah. that, that I don't like. So um, it's kind of like a mix, but definitely mm -hmm. not as, um, as outside as we were as kids. So, yeah. so that, that can play a role in the whole idea is, you know, like we're constantly being exposed to everything in our, you know, lots of things in our environment, our immune system seeing things and, and the way it sees things like can dictate, you know, how we, uh, we kind of call it like skewing or development of kind of like dysregulatory. Uh, I won't try not to use too much yeah. crazy terminology uh, responses. So yeah, like you said, like like the type of virus exp uh, exposure to infections we get, the kind of environmental exposure, even if it's just like being outside around dirt, you know, like mm -hmm. stuff like that, or the number of antibiotics we get theoretically can maybe impact this. I don't know if there's oh. enough compelling evidence to be like that's the reason. You know, there's there's some thought too. Like, what if if we kind of heard things because we told everyone to delay introduction of food for decades, mm. and that could have been, you know, there's a, there's an interesting study. Um, a lot of awesome stuff comes out of like Australia. Mm -hmm. There's like a great group out of there, and they they um, had tremendous uptake of early peanut introduction in their society as a whole mm -hmm. uh, after like the leap trial and all, they changed the recommendations, you know, and, and they, they looked more like an ecologic, like a population wide study about the prevalence of peanut allergy and it actually didn't change much. Oh, so it's like weird. So you get these things, right? Like these yeah. things that like you hypothesize might be due to, you know, and it doesn't always play out as. Is there any research um, about how food is made? How food uh, has, has changed? I mean, yes. I know that food in the fifties yes, was made much uh, differently than uh, it is made now. You know, mass production and just much more, you know, yeah. I'm sure like a lot of more added additives, preservatives, people, um, you know, I think food primarily was probably marketed and changed on the whole in like the early, probably like when I was born in the early 80s, like when yeah. more moms yeah. were going into the office and mm -hmm. we were looking for more convenience and more packaged goods. And like, mm -hmm. that's, you know, I think that's, you know, we, yeah. the, the, now I think we know to kind of shop the perimeter of the grocery store mm -hmm. and that like whole foods are overall better for mm -hmm. you. But, um, but I, you know, I think that like just how we are as a country, like how food yeah. is prepared yeah. must yeah. have, maybe ha could have something to do with it. Is there research that says that? Yeah. Um, yes, I'm not as familiar with it. So, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things. The way a food process, it's, it's also leads into another point, too, we can talk about, like, the way you process the food, the way your immune system sees the food. Okay. Just even if it's, if you're not thinking about, uh, if you're just thinking strictly from, like, um, not, like, processed Doritos versus, you know, like, something fresh, just from, like, if you're eating eggs and it's scrambled egg versus like a baked egg, uh -huh. like this, that's a, uh, that's a whole nother discussion. Really? Too. We talk about allergenicity oh, based on how the, what the form of the food is. So this is, but like this a raw onion versus a cooked onion. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And it depends on the particular properties of the food and what, it, what specifically are you allergic to in that food and how you can modify that food to make it more tolerant. Anyway, that's all, but that's like, yeah. a, that's not necessarily, and it goes into like the development of food allergy. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a little bit of a different discussion. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like processed foods, you know, you think there's, 
I'm smiling because I'm like, there's some, you know, some research into like, it, yeah, does it modify like just local inflammation in your GI tract or uh -huh. stuff like that and, and change the permeability of your GI tract. So then these food allergens kind of the way they get introduced or seen by your immune system. Almost a like a different. Yeah, yeah. So, and right. it just doesn't create that normal kind of process. And then something, you know, and you're a little predisposed for one reason or the other. And then boom, you get food allergy. Interesting. It's a very broad over, overview, but there, there is some research that definitely is into that right now. It's okay. Gonna, I think it's going to get more and more hot like in the coming years too. So. Interesting. So um, your child has, say, a peanut allergy. Uh, one, is it something that you can, I don't know if this is the right term, grow out of, cure, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you have something and then you just don't anymore. Does that yeah. happen? Is it treatable? Um, what do they do? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're done. No. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, peanut and tree nut allergies are very common, right? And that's why they get a lot of, like, uh, awareness, awareness notori notoriety. Yeah. I can really get a better word. Uh, and, but, they're also, you know, have been associated with more severe reactions, mm -hmm. and they're also some of the least likely foods to grow out of. So you can grow out of food allergies. So mm -hmm. the classic ones, like like milk and egg, are common in kids, and they're like really important for your diet, right? But the majority grow out by school age. Interesting. You know, okay. and there's certain things you can do. So that's where it goes back to this baked egg and baked milk. So you can alter the forms too, try to get them in the diet. There's some evidence that it helps you grow out. Hmm. Um, for peanut, for like peanut and tree nuts, it's probably around like twenty to thirty percent grow out of peanut, less so like ten to twenty percent, probably closer to ten percent grow out of um, tree nut allergy. Okay, uh, so that's something you really love. Yeah, yeah, so usually, and like once you kind of stick with it after you know as you get older, you usually say you're probably not going to grow out of it at that uh, point. Um, other things too is like can the severity of the allergy change over time? You know, you know, can your threshold because so different people have different thresholds for having an allergic reaction too. Mm -hmm. Some people can only tolerate like microscopic amounts. Some people can actually tolerate like a, a small, reasonable amount, just at, at like baseline. Um, and I don't think we know enough yet. I think that does vary over time. Wow. Um, there's other factors. We can get go down the rabbit yeah. hole, get into it if you want. Um, does the allergy um, remain because you are like you continue to not introduce it into your body though yeah so so this goes you can parlay this into uh, oral immunotherapy okay. so if you've heard of OIT no. so, mm -hmm. so there is one FDA approved uh, me medication uh -huh. for OIT it's basically peanut powder it's called palforzia okay uh, but like a lot of academic and more like more so like private practice allergists have been doing this for much longer time than, than this drug's been approved and uh -huh. with other foods than just peanut. But um, but the idea is like you can you can usually get like a small amount in of the food and then slowly increase over time. Okay. Like weeks and months and stuff. And that process can well one desensitize you to like a, a, a small exposure so you're not gonna have like a true allergic reaction. But maybe also change the course of that allergy. There's not compelling evidence that it helped. Like by doing this process, you start with small amounts, you build up, then you take a little bit of peanut every day. Uh -huh. Like, um, will actually make you not allergic anymore. Mm -hmm. Like if you stopped it, um, at least in the age group that it's approved for now, okay. there is newer evidence. Uh, like this is another hot topic in oral immunotherapy is in modifying the course of food allergies. So the thought, thought process in, in general, young kids have, you know, you're born with your immune system. You're born the way you are, but like you can, you're more malleable, you're more pliable. Your immune system can change for good or bad 
when you're younger, mm. right? So if you get these foods in early introduction, if you're predisposed for developing an allergy, you can build tolerance early on, then you don't develop the allergy. So you're almost preventing it. Uh. There's also thought process that if you have the allergy already and you do this oral immunotherapy in younger kids, like toddler age, mm. then you might actually have a higher risk of changing the course of that allergy and uh. truly growing out of it. Interesting. Anyways, so that's a there's a lot of fun topics to talk about. We could I'm happy to talk there's more about something that. Something so, I think similar with like RSV or COVID, the or the flu shot that there was like a therapy. It was like kind of similar, where like that you give like small dose to kind of prevent actually getting it, right? Yeah. Well, there's there's just the the antibody and yes. vaccine approved for RSV. Which right. Is that's awesome. what it was. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. There's always been like a monoclonal antibody for. Okay. Um, for RSV for like premature babies and stuff. Okay. Uh, but now there's like a vaccine. Yeah, like uh, and it's all, and like more monoclonals are becoming available. Okay, one of the pediatricians great, yeah. that came on was talking about it and it kind of reminded me like similar, she's talking yeah. about it's like a therapy versus like a vaccine and yeah. Know, so. Yeah, okay. That's a, yeah, we can also talk about too though, like what specific viral infections predispose you to developing allergies. But that's a, we could, wow. yeah, we could go, <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's more like asthma realmy, but there's, there's it just it, keeping the sense, I always just go back to, it's always about like what your immune system exposed to, right? Whether it's a virus or whether it's like peanut dust or just like dirt outside, you know, and how that it's, it's kind of fun. That's why like immunology can dictate how you, you develop, you know, yeah. and what things go right, what things go wrong. So. Um, so having, you know, a severe allergy is probably incredibly frustrating and just like mm -hmm. dictates, you know, your everyday life and how, you know, where you go and, what you, um, you know, what you consume. Um what are um, some of the things that you tell parents, like with with children, mm -hmm. that like you know just kind of have to live like this yeah. each day um, with a peanut allergy, with you know a mm -hmm. milk allergy, especially in school, mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. just all the modifications that you have to make to your day to day life. Yeah. So there's like good and, and bad, right? Mm -hmm. So in general, like you, always, I always start off the conversation with like. And that food allergy can be unpredictable, mm -hmm. right? And like everyone has different thresholds that can change to the amount that you eat. You can, the severity of one uh, exposure one time might vary compared to another time. So you might just get some like tongue itching or you could have full blown anaphylaxis. And you know, you parlay that with, um, it can be life threatening, there are fatalities. You know the the the, prev, the you know the number of people having more severe reactions is increasing. It's like oh my god, and then but then I kind of shift over right to, you know the there is this imperfect but awesome study from a couple of years ago that um, looked at the risk of death from food allergy and like the general population and also then a select group of people who already have food allergy and mm -hmm. it's like more likely that someone would die from an, a random accident than from food allergy. Um, so that gives some okay. more perspective too, yeah. right? There's like the, oh my God, and then mm -hmm. there's like, a, like it's you know, let's this, this take things in, in perspective. Um, Is there more of a death rate from um, like a beast, like bee stings? Than uh, there yes. are than, yeah. than there so, is to yeah. allergies? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and that's even an, an interesting discussion too. Like, yeah, venom anaphylaxis more often can present with like episodes of hypotension and low blood pressure, which is a little more life threatening, you know, like than some okay. of this other stuff. So, Got so um, you know, general food um, reactions um, most commonly present with skin findings mostly. And then if it gets more severe, then you involve other organ systems, uh, which can include like respiratory distress or low blood pressure. Bee sting allergy can do the same, but it's you see some more like low blood pressure can be a little more predominant, and those reactions can be a little more severe. Is there any way to know that you have a bee, an a mm. allergy to bee stings <laughs> before being stung? So, uh, 
you can so like with everything, right? So diagn- so we go we harken back into like di- how do you diagnose any allergic condition, uh-huh. right? It's like an imperfect science, but what allergists have, right? We have our scratch testing, right? You know, um, and then we have our blood testing, and then we have our challenges. Okay. Right? So it's like, and you can partition, right? So you can say you could scratch test to food or or specific bee venom. Uh-huh. You can do blood tests uh, to foods in there for venoms too, um, and then you can even challenge. We don't typically do uh, sting challenges that much anymore, mm-hmm. but they used to do it more frequently. Like you would just you would like come in and you get stung by a bee and uh-huh. see if you reacted. It's, it's crazy kind of stuff. It's um, interesting. But going back to foods, uh, um, yeah, food challenges. The, the, yeah, yeah, like, that's. Um, so if you, I'm getting static from my phone here. Oh, yeah. You, um, uh, the, um, the bee sting. Yeah, so yeah. if you, so you can get a panel done and just get like a, and then like know like exactly what you're allergic to. Or is it yes like, is no. it finite? So or? I do not typically recommend it. So the, so the guidelines actually say, do not willy nilly do the testing for venom. Um, you know, it, it certain proportion of the population will just have positive levels and okay. it does not if you don't have a, a clear history of reacting to a sting it doesn't necessarily mean anything got it even if you've had a reaction to a, a bee sting um it depends on what kind of reaction you had a lot of kids when they get stung by a bee if they're going to have a more systemic allergic reaction it's usually isolated to just the skin okay so what i mean is like full body hives gotcha maybe some swelling i think all yeah. my generation is all terrified of dying from bee stings mm-hmm. because of that movie my girl did you ever oh. see it? <laughs> wait, wait. I think I did at some point. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the friend, the best friend. Oh, my gosh. What was his name? And he, he but he was allergic to everything. So if uh, you are uh, you more like predisposed to being allergic to bee stings if you already have other allergies? Allergies. Um, it depends. So some people with who have severe reactions to bee stings have other underlying conditions okay. that predispose them to severe reactions to pretty much any allergic Got kind it. of condition. It's not classically one of the things that runs with like atopy. Uh-huh. And atopy is like food allergy, uh, asthma, you know, eczema, all those kind of um, allergic conditions. But there are situations where you could be in- at increased risk of all the things. Gotcha. Um, okay. That's a whole other discussion. Too, yeah, like, but it's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times I think when you, I don't know, like you meet someone that you know, like they have a lot, they are allergic to, oh, I'm allergic to everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then like, like you said, like there's some, you know, one person I know who's like allergic to shellfish and that's it. And like, yeah. she just stays away yeah. from shellfish. Um, but uh you know like w- how they have to you know make sure that you know what's on the menu mm-hmm. and then like so, can some people be allergic to shellfish and like just be by being around it or do they can these, like... these are great questions okay. yeah, yeah so this goes into like yeah I, I usually like to include some of this too in like the initial discussion where you're just talking about like what like what does it mean if i have a food allergy uh-huh. or whatever like what are the risks like what's going to happen to me if i get exposed to something how can i be exposed to that right so generally speaking you have to eat it to have a systemic reaction. Okay. You some people, if you're allergic to peanut, if you rub a little bit, it might get a, a hive or a rash. You know what I mean? Like that's it, though. Uh-huh. Um, there's been some studies that show, like if you directly inhale, like a food protein, you could have a respiratory response. But generally, it's just limited. You're not going to have like full blown anaphylaxis. They've done some interesting studies. It, a lot of it has to do with peanut, right? Because peanut's popular. You know, you have more severe reactions. Like I was saying, that they they do um, they just, they take like peanut. And they like put it behind a gauze and like right next to somebody who's like pretty allergic to peanut and like they don't have a reaction. Because it's a question like if I smell the smell of peanut, can I have a reaction? And the answer is usually no. Uh-huh. They've done studies where they shell peanuts 
around someone who's allergic and they try to measure the peanut protein, like where it goes, if it gets out there and really not much does. Hmm. So generally speaking, you have to eat, eat the food to be allergic. The one caveat is, uh, it goes back to shellfish actually. If you're like co- actively cooking a food or if it's like in a hot soup, there's been some evidence that like it can get, like the food protein can kind of get up enough that maybe people might have more reactions. But generally speaking, I say like unless you're like you're eating something you don't know what's in it and you have cross contamination, like you shouldn't actually have to be worried like about like someone can technically be eating the food neck close to you and you're not going to have a reaction. Okay. Yeah. Profoundly rare. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so you have a child with um, it, um, allergies and, um, you know, they've known to be a bit more severe. Um, obviously, there's probably different treatment plans based on the allergy, right? Um, but do most par- parents have to walk around like with an EpiPen everywhere they go? Yeah. 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 So regardless, right? Like once yeah. you say we diagnose you with the food allergy, we talked about how present um, presentation of an, uh, like of an exposure can vary. Sometimes it's mild, sometimes it's severe. Sometimes you could be in that category where you just know, like, you've had a profoundly severe reaction. Uh-huh. You know, like, so regardless, though, I say ep- carrying epinephrine is is the uh, most important. So while, you know, like, while people can have severe reactions, actually the, the majority of people who have reactions already been di- – people who have been diagnosed with a food allergy who know they have a food allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, the the and you know and 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 it can be life threatening. The ways you reduce all that is you know the signs and symptoms of uh, allergic reaction, how to recognize it, and you have the treatment available. Got it. Is treatment for anaphylaxis for severe food reaction is epinephrine. Okay. Right. That's it. Right. Epi auto injector. Um, and we always say you should carry two with you at once. So most like pretty much every time you order or if you if um, epinephrine is like sent to the pharmacy, you get like these two packs. And so the idea is that there's a very low percent chance, but sometimes like if you're having bad anaphylaxis, you give epinephrine and the symptoms persist or they come back after they went away, then you might need a second one. Got so it. I always say, always carry epinephrine if you have a food allergy, always carry two oh. that are unexpired and that are like physically with the person who has the food allergy. What is it when, if, um, is this for any drug, but we'll ask specifically for an EpiPen, if it's expired, is it just less effective or does it like uh, spoil? A little bit of both. Okay. Like, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. It. Like, if it's Got been it. yeah. stored, okay. like in Got a it. good position. Yeah. Like, a, I've always wondered about yeah. that. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, so what I try to still kind of say is, uh, if you know, it's been stored properly, some people like leave it in their car in these like huge swings in, the, in temperature. In the heat. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're like, <laughs> yeah. and it's like not like, you know, it's less than a year expired, and you look in the little window and it looks clear. Like what your options are, like don't give that drug. That's probably not oh, very. Mm-hmm. It's it's gonna work. Maybe it's a little less effective. It's not gonna be unsafe. Yeah. Um, even though it's technically expired, or see what happens. You know, like if you're having. So I, I usually say if there's an EpiPen around, if it's like not too old and it looks like it's still good, I just just give it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll talk quickly about eczema because that um, is you know, really challenging for a lot of people, right? In general, kids, adults um, that have it. Is it specifically food um, <laughs> related? Um, uh, uh, psoriasis too, right? Is, is uh, yeah. or no, not so much. It's eczema. I think eczema okay. is mostly the, yeah. Um, food-driven eczema. That is, it's like the, not the bane of allergies existence, but it's, it, it creates some of the most difficult discussions, right? Uh-huh. So, um, to harken back, like the main risk factor for development of food allergies, probably eczema. Okay. So that's why, like, it, just in these individuals in the first place, making sure you get as many foods in that are considered highly allergenic 
and make them sure they tolerate them is like super important. Okay. Those are the kids that will develop food allergy if they're gonna. So um, will you develop eczema and only eczema if you have a food out like any allergy or can you have eczema and like not have yeah, yeah. yeah so, it's 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 bent yeah so it's just you just say it's a, it serves as like a risk factor it doesn't it. necessarily pre, you're not going to definitely develop a food allergy or not it just these are the kids like when we talk about early introduction you want to start at like the earlier range when they start to introduce foods and stuff like that now there's this whole group of kids that have eczema you start to introduce the foods uh-huh. and then they get eczema flares Oh. You know, like, or you, you know, as the allergist, you see a kid and they have terrible eczema. No one can get control out of it. Oh. And they're like, I notice it gets worse every time he drinks milk. Uh-huh. You know, so then you're dealt with a scenario of like, what what do we do? Because right. this kid's at high risk of like developing an allergy. Probably if you pulled the milk out, he, he, you have continue. to continue we'll it. Worse. He might actually then develop that immediate allergy versus the eczema. Right. Um, uh, and... Uh, or like, do you just keep it in? And you know, so there's been a lot of there, there's a lot of stuff uh, surrounding this. There's a mm, there's like a guideline that came out in 2022 that really tried to tackle this. Um, so first, you have to differentiate between the different kind of like like skin reactions, right? So in response to food, you want to make sure that the reaction to the food is not like an immediate allergic reaction. Like the okay. kid's not like drinking eating a food and like 20 minutes later like breaks out in hives. Like, right. you know, that you know what I mean? Like you should get skin does it stay away from that food. okay <laughs> but like so but if it's a couple hours later you know you notice the eczema gets like t- so much worse the kid's like itching and scratching you know and you're trying your best to control it and like it just won't like that's a different situation so there's probably it's been shown too that to further complicate things in these kids you're probably like, like i said like your increases of developing a true immediate allergic leg symptom and um and you're also when you do the typical allergy evaluation you're like going to be more likely to be like positive for all these foods, mm-hmm. um, which further complicates like, what do you do in this situation? Right. If that makes sense. It's yeah. a complicated like yes. kind of discussion. So, uh, so this guideline 2022 kind of went like through the steps of like always making sure you try to take care of the eczema as much as possible. First, there's actually not too much evidence like in, in trials that show that if you remove a food from the diet, it will improve the eczema. Yeah. There's like a significant small improvement, but not okay. longstanding. Interesting. And then you couple that with there's been demonstrated that kids with eczema, even if you tolerate the food before, then pull the food out, you might then become allergic to it afterwards. Mm, interesting. So it's like. Do you treat eczema or you? Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, yeah. got it. Um, has there been any advancements with eczema or is it kind of just. Oh, like yeah. The, so, yeah, yeah, for yeah. eczema care. So there's. Um, there's been a lot of advancements for like adults and treatments. You see, I don't know, for like all the commercials for like um, like a Rune Vogue, okay. and all that, you know, like yeah. these jackanib oral jackanibs. Um, but in the in the kid world, uh, probably one of the more recently approved medications, or one of the more popular and recently approved, is Dupixin. It's approved down to six months of age. Oh, for um, kids with eczema, it has okay. lots of other indications. You might have heard of it for eosinophilic esophagitis, asthma. Right for older um, older kids. Uh, or adults, um, uh, chronic sinusitis with nasal polyps, pronotogonodularis, all these kind of things. There's lots of indications for it, um, but it's a good option. And kids who have like severe refractory eczema that you can't figure out what's going on, you've done, you know, like proper management. Um, yeah, but two picks into whole, again, all these things, there's so much to talk about, like it's a whole other discussion. Um, this uh, food allergy induced asthma? Or um, they kind of like, like one is not 
the so other? They're definitely related. Like, okay. in, yeah, it's going to be part of that atopic march, which is a more traditional kind of thought process. Like, yeah, like people who are going to develop a, a, like atopic disorders can get like eczema, then you get food allergy, then you get asthma, then you get allergic rhinitis and all this stuff. And it's all related, right? It's all kind of like an, this abnormal allergic response to things in our environment, whether it be a food, whether it be like a pollen, you know, mm. and, and stuff like that. Um, the the important aspect too about asthma is um, you, so for some kids they uh, who have food allergy can sometimes be misdiagnosed as asthma. It's uncommon, but like they can be present with recurrent asthma attacks. You don't realize you're eating a food each time. And that's oh, causing. interesting. Yeah, so there's I've seen cases of that too. Okay, so something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if your child is uh, maybe had a, a bad allergic reaction, or you know you find that they're you know showing signs of having um, some type of allergies, obviously go to the pediatrician, right? Mm -hmm. um, where can they make an appointment to find you? That's <laughs> <laughs> a um, great new allergy yeah, in Monmouth yeah. County. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm at, I'm at Hope Tower mm -hmm. at uh, Jersey Shore. Yeah, in Neptune. in Neptune. Yeah, um, it's beautiful there. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice, nice building. right? Yeah, it's I very swanky. Like, yeah. I yeah. there. <laughs> we were there for my, my doctor. My daughter was seeing a doctor there, so we spent a little time there like a couple of years ago. Yeah. And um, it's really nice. So yeah. um, there's a lot of great things happening there yeah. at, with the Hackensack Meridian Children's Health. Um, thank you so much for answering these important topics. I think, you know, we could probably have you back on and just talk about more, yeah. <laughs> go on to uh, all kinds of different um, layers, right, of, of allergies yeah. um but i think we tackled some some important questions about foodborne allergies and uh i learned a lot i know yeah. um so i hope that uh it helps some moms out there and you can take this and uh and help your families um coming up we have the um uh, holiday fun guide happening right now so make sure to check that out for all things uh, holiday related in Monmouth County this season we have um, where to get your Christmas tree local um, holiday events Christmas tree lightings different plays shows theater um, productions happening to see Scrooge and um, Polar Express and all kinds of fun um, productions throughout the area and we also have where to go ice skating um, so pretty much everything holiday in a bubble right um, in uh, in Monmouth County so make sure to check that out. We also have our holiday shopping guide. I love to support local this time of year. There's so many great local businesses that um, have you covered for everything in the family. So there's lots of great shopping um, gift ideas, especially last minute. Local's great for last minute too, right? If you can't get it shipped in time, um, head out and check out all of um, all the shops listed in there. And then right now we're working on updating our fall catering guide to reflect all the holiday menus. So, um, uh, you know, I think this will this will be next week. So the first first week of December, um, get all of those orders in for holiday parties, for um, for uh, friends, for bringing um, in for hosting and also for um for bakeries too. So we have a lot of cool stuff in there. And as always, make sure to check themomothmoms.com for uh, the latest resources, events. We have um, 2024 Mammoth Mom Summit happening. So um, I'm gonna talk a little bit about that next time, but um, keep um, keep following us for updates. We have a lot of exciting things planned for, for the new year. So stay tuned and enjoy the holiday season, everyone. Have a good day. <laughs>